Well, we are, uh, as I said, in Acts chapter 12, we left off with kind of a cliffhanger, which is exciting to always come back and see what's going to happen. I hope you didn't read ahead, uh, because then you kind of ruined the story for yourself here. But where we left off, what we were looking at is that incident where Herod, Herod the uh, ruler there of Israel, he's called a king sometimes, but not the absolute power um, that we might think of with a king, um, but the Herod, the, the ruler of that particular region, decided to turn his attention against the church uh, for whatever. It's really the first time uh, that that is occurring in the book of Acts. Prior to that, it was the religious leaders that had turned their attention against the church. But now Herod, who we learned in our text was desirous to please the Jews, he arrested James, he had him killed, and he saw that that pleased the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, and so he decided to arrest another big name. He decides to arrest the apostle Peter. As we learned in our time together, it was during the Passover. And again, hundreds of thousands of people come into the city of Jerusalem at that time during the Passover. And you know who knows what these people, how they're going to respond to this. And so he decides, I'll put Peter in jail. And when it's over and everything dies down and the people leave and it's just really the religious leaders that are here in Jerusalem, then we'll put Peter to death. And so we spent our time considering those things. Peter is sitting there in that prison somewhere in Jerusalem, probably in the center there, the Praetorium, uh, which if you've gone to Israel, you've been there, we've been there, uh, and you know where that is. Uh, and he's sitting in prison. The church is gathered together, and they're praying that God would release him. So let's pick up from there, verse 6. It says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, and he woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your shoes, your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out, and he followed him. He did not know what was being done by this angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So the church is praying. And they're praying over here on this side of the city, on this side of the city, God is at work. The church is gathered together in someone's home praying and sitting in a cell over here, God is doing, he's answering the prayers of those folks that are, that are praying. Notice what it says there. It says, on that very, this is verse six, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, meaning the next morning, Herod was going to bring out Peter to be executed. On that very night, notice what it says that Peter is doing. Peter is sleeping. I wonder if it was the night that you were about to be executed, if you would be able to sleep that particular evening. A lot of us, we have difficulty sleeping if we have a big test coming up in the next morning, or there's some stressful event that is coming up in the next morning. And here is Peter. He is sleeping on the night that he's about to have his head cut off. Remember that, that term that was used to describe how James died? He put him to death with the sword that typically described having your head chopped off. And so Peter can expect that his head is going to be chopped off the next morning, and yet he is at peace enough 
to be able to sleep that evening and to sleep soundly, as we'll see in a moment. Psalm 127, it says this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Now, there's context to that. It's okay to get up early. That, that's not the point. Um, so there's some context, but it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil because he gives to his beloved sleep. And here we have an instance of Peter, God blessing him with the ability to rest, even though the circumstances seem pretty clear, he's going to be killed the next morning. Years later, almost 15 years later, Peter would write in one of his epistles. He wrote two epistles, not very creative in the naming, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, we call them. And in one of those epistles, Peter wrote this. He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And here Peter, maybe as many as 15 years earlier, recognizes that reality. That he can cast all of his cares, he can cast all of his anxieties upon the Lord and leave them with him as if they're his anxieties. Here, you take them. And he can get a good night's rest. It's pretty remarkable. He's sleeping. He had learned the lesson of casting his cares. And notice also, it says there, we can deduce, I think, fairly. It says there that he was sleeping soundly. And the reason I say that, look at verse 7. Here it says, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Psst. Hey, get up. And Peter's sleeping. Bright, shining lights. Peter's sleeping. Finally, it says, uh, and he struck Peter on the side. Get up. Gave him a little kick, gave him a little poke, whatever it was needed to wake Peter and to say to him, get up quickly. So he slept so soundly that the angel had to poke him. Then it goes on and it says in verse 7 there, and the chains fell off of his hands. Now remember, this was last week and we may have forgotten that Peter was chained. Typically they would they'd put a guy in prison and if he was a significant um, prisoner, they would, they'd have a guard in that prison with him, chained to his left hand, his right hand. Here, they chained Peter with one guy on his left side, one guy on his right side, and then outside of the cell, they put two additional guards out there. And so here it speaks of the chains falling off of Peter, and it seems as if Peter didn't go anywhere. You know, he kind of, hey, stop poking me. And, and he, maybe he's rubbing his hands where the, the shackles were and his wrist and things like that. And finally, the angel says, hey, Let's go. Get up. It's time to go, he says here. Now, his actual words are, in verse 8, dress yourself, put on your sandals. He says, get dressed. Put your sandals on. Wrap your outer garment around you like a coat and follow me, he says to him. So Peter's just sitting there. He's kind of oblivious to what's going on here. You know, and later on, he's going to say he didn't really understand all that was going on anyway. But Peter gets up. He puts on his shoes, he puts on his coat, he begins to follow the angel. We're reading verse 9, he went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was having a dream. He thought he was seeing a vision. And so he was just sort of enjoying the process. How sweet of the Lord to give me a vision, you know, this kind of thing, as I'm about to, uh, to die the next morning. It says that he thought the whole experience was not real, thought it was a vision, but you'll notice here, Peter, nevertheless, obeys the angel. The angel said, get up, put your shoes on, put your coat on, and follow me. And he does that. Verse 10, now when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them. So that is, if you will, the, the prison 
had an outer gate. So he's passed through a number of these and it had an outer gate which spilled right out there onto the road. And if you have been to Israel, this is the road that pretty much leads to the Damascus gate, which is the crazy gate where there's like five gazillion people selling things there. If you recall that, it's right, it's pretty close to where the Temple Mount area is. You, you may recall, it's the road they say that Jesus walked on for the Ten, not Ten Commandments, uh, the Stations of the Cross or whatever. It's that road that is right there. And so that gate opens and Peter, he spills out into that particular area and then the angel is gone. Peter's just standing out there in the middle of a pretty much a deserted street. It's the middle of the night, three in the morning, something like that. I'm making a time up, but it's the middle of the night. And he's standing out there, and he's just sort of, all right, what do I do now? Then, it's, and it is only then, that Peter realizes, hey, this isn't a dream at all. That's when he pinched himself. It hurt. And he said, this is for real, what's going on here. And so we see in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish leaders, were expecting that I would be put to death, that they would have this victory by killing the leader of this sect that was causing them so much difficulty. Now, it's not uncommon for the Lord to work in our lives uh, and our walks. It's not uncommon for us to see the way that he is working and to wonder, is this really the Lord? And so here's Peter, you know, doors are opening and he, he keeps moving forward and the shackles are off and he goes out the prison and then he goes out onto the street and here he's walking through this process. It's not uncommon for us to see the Lord working and to wonder, is this God? Is the Lord at work here? Is he opening these doors or is just some, just some random thing? Well, I think Peter is a good example of how to respond in those particular circumstances because what Peter does is, even though he's not sure that this is even a real event that is occurring or that this is what the Lord is doing, Peter just keeps on moving forward until it becomes very evident. Now, you need to stop. This isn't me. And so he just keeps moving forward, keeps moving forward, and keeps moving forward. And I think that's important for us because many times we just shut the door ourselves instead of going forward in faith and say, well, unless I know for certain that this is the Lord, I'm not moving. Sometimes in our walks, we may step out, look back later and say, yeah, I don't know if that was the Lord or not. But other times we step forward in faith and we're like, holy cow, thank God I've stepped forward in faith because look what the Lord has done. And so Peter's an example of that. He just keeps moving forward until God finally shuts that door, which he doesn't in this case. God has released Peter. And he did so just in the nick of time. You remember that verse earlier that said, uh, on that very night, meaning early, the next morning he was going to have him executed. On that very night. Now Passover is seven days long. We don't know when Peter was arrested. So at the, the longest, he was in jail for seven days. Maybe he was arrested halfway through. So he's in jail for three days, four days, something like that. But it's on the very night that he is about to be taken out to be executed, at the last possible moment, that God releases Peter. And I ask myself, why? God, if you were going to release me anyway, couldn't we have done it the night I got here? Like, why did I have to lay in this cell with shackles on all this particular time? Why did he wait until the last possible moment? Well, we can conjecture, we can all take our guesses at it, but the reality is we don't know why. God waits until he, when he does to do what he is going to do. And here's a reality of scripture that a lot of Americans aren't going to like, and you're probably not going to like it. 
And that is this, the Lord does what he does according to his wisdom and according to his timing and not our own. I don't know if I like that. That's okay. <laughs> he didn't ask your opinion uh, if you liked it or not. To be frank, it, it, we don't have to weigh in and say, you know what, God, I'd like you to change this about your character. God does what he does according to his wisdom and according to his timing. And it's our responsibility to say, Lord, you know what, I don't get it, but I trust you. And I'm going to walk in that trust even though I don't understand these circumstances. Now, many times what happens, we, we get down the road and we look back and we're like, I see what the Lord was doing. But we rarely see that when we're looking forward. And so here is Peter. He had to wait until the last possible day. And we might say, why? Now, there's another why question. And, and it refers to something I mentioned very briefly the last time we were together, looking at the early part of this chapter. And that was related to the differing experiences of James the Apostle and of John the Apostle. You remember James and John are brothers. And James, early on, we're probably seven, eight, ten years into the church here. James, early on, is martyred. John would live another 60, 70 years or so. Probably not that long. Probably 60 years or so. And be exiled to the island of Patmos. And was never martyred. He lived a martyr's life in many ways, and they tried to kill him on many instances, and they eventually banished him to an island where God gave him the, the book of, the, of Revelation that we have. But he was not killed for his faith. James was martyred for his faith. John lived well into his 90s. James was executed by Herod. Peter was released from Herod's imprisonment by the Lord. And again, we look at something like that, and we're like, Why? Lord, why? Why aren't you consistent? If you're going to re release Peter, why didn't you release James? Are, are we here to think that the church didn't pray for James? I have to imagine they prayed for James, even as they prayed for Peter. And yet James was not delivered, and yet Peter was. And again, we ask ourselves, why God? And again, the scripture doesn't answer that question for us. And honestly, it doesn't make any attempt to answer that question for us. And so again, we come back to when we don't know things about God, we come back to what we do know about God. So very important. Every one of us in this room and watching, every one of us are going to face a circumstance. If we haven't already, we're going to face a circumstance that rocks us, that shakes us, that gets us saying to ourselves, why would God, if there was a God, if he was all powerful, he wouldn't. It's going to bring us to that particular place. And the Bible doesn't give us answers to those types of questions. And so when we don't know something about God, we go back to what we do know about God. God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. God is just. Those are the things, the character traits we do know about God. If I could recommend a resource to you, it's Arthur Pink's book. I believe it's called The Attributes of God. I think it is something every one of us should read in preparation for the days. The Attributes of God, I think is the title, maybe The Character of God or something like that. We'll put it out on e-news so that you can see it. And so we go back to what we do know. Paul would say in the New Testament, we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't have all the answers, and so we trust God. Now, one thing we can say for certain about this event is that it was not yet time for Peter to go. God still had more for Peter to do. It was time for James, for whatever reason, but not yet time for Peter. And so in that sense, until it was time for Peter, he was invulnerable to attack. 
There's nothing that Herod could do against him. But anyway, back to our story here. Standing in the middle of Jerusalem is Peter. And he's standing on this deserted street, middle of the night, dark, I imagine, all these kinds of things. And it says he comes to himself. He realizes, hey, this is really going on. And so we read uh, as it continues in verse 12. Now, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer him. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, no, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to his brothers, or to the brothers. Then he departed, and he went to another place. So Peter here, standing in the middle of the road, realizes this is real. He naturally decides to go where he knows there will be Christians gathered, and almost certainly praying for him. He probably attended the prayer meeting for James with those same Christians just a little while earlier. Now Luke tells us that he went to the home of Mary. There's a lot of Marys that are in our Bible. This, he explains, is Mary the mother of John. Now that doesn't help us because there's a lot of Johns in our Bible as well. And so he tells us this particular John was also called Mark. Sometimes he's called John Mark uh, in that particular way. And other times he's called Mark, like the Gospel. This is the Mark that would write the Gospel of Mark. Now, for a variety of different reasons, it's believed that the home that these people had gathered in was the same location as the Last Supper, that that was a place in Jerusalem that had become a regular gathering place for the early church, which explains a little bit why Peter knew to go there. That's where the church would gather. If we knew that the church would be gathered in a prayer meeting, we'd probably come here looking for the church. And so he went to that particular place, the home of this woman, Mary, whose son's name was Mark. Peter knows that the church is going to be praying for him. And he, so he wants to go there. He wants to go and explain, look, your prayers have been answered. The Lord has released me. Look at verse 12. It goes on. He talks about how many were gathered together and were praying. The idea is that they were still praying. Now, when was Peter released? In the middle of the night. And so these folks have been praying through the night, coming to the morning hours here for Peter, that he, were, he would be released at that particular time. Peter goes there. He knocks on the door as we read. A servant girl named Rhoda comes, and she answers the door. Dana, do we have a picture of Rhoda? Do we have that picture? Okay. You can look it up. Just type in Rhoda picture. And she'll come up there. It's a little joke for the old people. They know. Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda. A little joke here. Anyhow, it's much more funny when you have the picture. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so this servant girl, that tells us that Mary was a rather wealthy individual, that she had a servant girl. Uh, she comes to the door, recognizes Peter's voice. This is a funny part of our Bibles. And instead of opening the door... She runs back inside, leaves Peter, the fugitive, out there on the road um, there. So excited to hear Peter's voice that she leaves him out there in the street. Now, we might chuckle at that. That account in our Bibles 
there's actually a significance to that account because it re reveals the authenticity of our scriptures. So if this is a made-up story, would you include this portion in it? No, you wouldn't. But the historicity of it is, well, that's what happened. This girl came out, she got so excited, she ran back in. And so that's what's put, because that's what occurred. And so Peter is outside, Rhoda runs inside. She tells everyone that Peter is outside, and their response is to call her crazy. You look in verse 15, they say to her, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. That couldn't be Peter. Don't you know that Peter is in prison? Why would we be gathered in a prayer meeting for God to save Peter if Peter is at the door? They say to her, all of those words in, in that little phrase, you're out of your mind. Now, the irony of the account is that these believers, they are a great example to us of what true prayer should be. The earnest, it said that earlier in verse 3 or something like that. They're constant. It's the middle of the morning. They're fervent in their prayers. They're persevering in their prayers. Those are all really good qualities that we all want to have in our prayer lives. Nevertheless, we also see that they're very much unbelieving in their prayer, or to use a different word, they're doubting in their prayer. So Peter is delivered, goes and knocks at the door, and nobody in the prayer meeting believes that it could actually be Peter. Earnest, constant, persevering, but now we also see doubting, doubting in their prayer. They've been praying for him to be released, and when he is, they can't believe it. Now, I take a little bit of comfort in that because there are times in my prayer life when I can say the words, but I doubt in my spirit, if you will, in my heart, that what I'm really praying for and desperate for is actually going to occur, particularly when I'm praying for the big things like let's get Peter out of prison and those kinds of things. We doubt. Am I the only one? Okay. I want to make sure because he's a prayer guy. So what do we know? We know that God answers faith full, full of faith, prayers. But here what we discover is that God answers faith not so full prayers as well. And so you may have to come into a situation where you're praying for something and you're finding it hard to even believe that God can do that particular thing. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep asking the Lord to give you the strength to believe. Because the reality is, it's not the strength and the power of any of our prayers. But rather, it's the strength and the power of the one to whom we're praying to. And so keep praying. Little faith can accomplish great things when they are placed in a powerful God. You remember how Jesus declared that even faith the size of a small mustard seed could move a mountain. Now, a mustard seed was considered kind of their smallest seed in that day. I think we have smaller seeds in our day, but it's akin to uh, a sesame seed. If you get a sesame seed bagel or roll or something like that, that's about the size of a mustard seed. That's not a lot. That's just a little bit of faith. But Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so here, in this instance, in spite of these believers' doubts, God is answering their prayers, and he sets Peter free. And Rhoda comes to tell them that. They say, you're crazy. Rhoda insists, no, it really is him. They say, it must be his angel. What does that even mean? 
You know, we don't even know what that means here. Like, well, I must be his angel. Oh, okay, that explains it. All right, essentially they're saying this can't be Peter. But it was Peter. And it was Peter that was knocking at the gate outside of the property. And verse 16 goes on to say he kept knocking. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And so either the noise was getting too loud and they try and stop it, or Rhoda kept insisting, and finally someone says, all right, would somebody go with her just to prove that it's not true? And seeing that it was Peter, the jaw drops, and they're amazed, it says. uh, And you can imagine lots of praise the Lord, hallelujah, it's amazing, all these kinds of things, lots of stirring that is going on. And so verse 17 will go on to say, Peter, say, everybody quiet down. I need to say something to you. Plus, they're looking for me or something like that. I don't know if that's true. But so much exuberance, Peter gets everybody to quiet down here, and he explains to them, he describes to them, verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. So this is what happened. I am out of prison. I'm getting out of here. Make sure you tell James and the brothers, the other Christians, and particularly the, the leaders, and so on. Now, tell James, wasn't James just put to death? In, back in verse 2, this is a different James. So we got a lot of Marys, we got a lot of Johns, we got a lot of Jameses as well. This particular James is likely the one that is the half-brother of Jesus. And so after Jesus was born, the firstborn of Mary, her and her husband Joseph went on to have a number of other children. We learn about the brothers and his sisters. And so uh, there's at least six in addition to Jesus that were born by Mary uh, and Joseph there. And so this particular James is likely the half-brother of Jesus, who's now kind of the, the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. Now what's remarkable about that is that this James was not always a believer. During Jesus's lifetime, his brother... And his mom even kind of comes along at a point, and they're worried about him. They think he's out of his mind. We read this in Mark chapter 3. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. This is while Jesus was doing his ministry in the Gospels. In another place, it says this. This is John chapter 7. For not even his brothers, which would include James, believed in him. And so... During that particular point, they didn't believe, but God changed this man's heart, and he caused him to believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read that after Jesus' resurrection, that the Lord appeared, just as he appeared to Peter and to the apostles and the 500 and all that, that he specifically appeared to James. That's this one that we're referring to, the half-brother of Jesus. And it was during that conversation, we have an instance where Jesus appeared to Peter and had a conversation with Peter and restored Peter from his fall the night of Jesus' arrest. Well, a similar conversation took place between the Lord and James. And during that conversation, James becomes convinced, my older brother is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, sure he wondered about all the things that he had said about him and I'm going to be in trouble and you know all these kinds of things but he had decided that his brother was the Messiah and sometime during the next decade remember we're about 10 years or so into the church at this point in Acts chapter 12 he goes on to become the leader of the church there in Jerusalem that's the James that Peter says 
hey, everybody quiet down. This is what happened to me. Make sure you tell James and the others uh, all about this. And presumably that's what they did. They went, they found James, and maybe he's at another prayer meeting somewhere else on the other side of town. Now, as far as Peter, it says in verse 17, then he departed and went to another place. That's what Peter did. So they went to go tell James. Peter went to some other place. We don't know. There's all kinds of legends as to where Peter went next, but there's no really historical evidence as to where Peter went from here or there. We do have a good sense historically that he ended his days in the city of Rome, but that was almost 20 years later. And so where he went in between that time, we don't really know, and we don't really even need to know. That's not the significance of the statement that Peter went to some other particular place. The significance of the phrase is that it coincides in the book with Peter's passing off of the scene as the main character. And also the church that was kind of headquartered in Jerusalem passing off the scene as well. And the focus now, the book of Acts, is going to transition from really following Peter to really following Paul. And from really looking at what's going on in the church in Jerusalem to what's going on at the church in Antioch, which we talked about in one of our previous studies. That's the significance of the phrase. But Peter kind of passes off, and we don't really see Peter again. He's mentioned briefly in Acts chapter 15, and it's mentioned in the book of Galatians that he and Paul came into contact with one another. But other than that, we don't have anything additional. Somebody wants to come in. Would you? Well, look through, look through the people. It didn't sound like a rough knocker, um, so I'm not too worried. Who is it? We sent Judy as our, our muscle. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. All right. It's Peter. It's not Peter. <laughs> You're crazy. All right, so... That's it for our friend Peter. Uh, verse 16, uh, 18, excuse me. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance amongst the soldiers over what had happened to Peter or become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, did not find him, he examined the sentries, and he ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he spent time there. All right. Talk about an understatement. There was no little disturbance amongst the soldiers. They're, they're looking around. They're they're checking the chains. They're looking to see if there's holes in the wall. The gates, they're rattling them. They're still shut there, and Peter's gone. Herod, having lost his prized prisoner, remember Herod was delighted. If I can put Peter to death, the Jews are going to love me. Herod, having lost his prized prisoner, is furious, and he says that he orders the, the guard there, the centuries, uh, the sentries, excuse me, to be put to death. May seem extreme. But that was actually the customary penalty for a guard who lost his, I assume his, maybe his or her prisoner. The customary penalty was now you pay the price of that particular person's penalty. And since Peter's penalty was going to be death, each one of these guards are put to death. How about that? That's where we'll pick up next time we're together. Another cliffhanger to make you come back. It, it happens. That's all right. Uh, don't read ahead because you, you'll ruin the surprise. There's plenty of other Bible you can read this week. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, Peter's deliverance. We know that uh, he had important work to continue to do. 
Lord, in his remaining days, and uh, Lord, you delivered him. And Father, we thank you for the example of these praying Christians, Lord, uh, praying hard, praying obediently, praying in a little bit of faith, but even in that faith doubting. And Lord, that's an encouragement to us. And so we want to be people that pray, even when we're not sure if it's doing any good. We pray that you would increase our faith, maybe bring it to the level of a mustard seed so that indeed we will pray a prayer in faith that you can answer. Lord, help us to understand in the why circumstances to be reminded, trust in me, I'm good, I'm merciful, I love you. Lord, enlarge our hearts to have a greater grasp of your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.